Well, we're going to look together this morning at 2 Kings chapter 5 and the account of the healing of Naaman, uh, the leper. And I'm going to read verse 14 as we begin. So he, that is Naaman, went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of a young boy. This is a very remarkable story, tucked away in the Old Testament. As God deals with a man who is not from Israel, a man who in many ways is far from God, yet who in a wonderful way experiences the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God to him. And there are a number of things I think we can learn from this passage. One is this, what sort of people does God use to make the good news of the gospel known. And we can think about the girl, this young girl, who was the one who spoke to Naaman and uh, told him to go to Elisha. And then we can think also about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to come to know God and his grace and his forgiveness, and uh, to see what Naaman eventually did. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan as the man of God had told him. He'd be given a word, he'd be given a message, and he obeyed that message, and the blessing of God came upon him. And then also we can see the wonderful way in which God brings people to know him, the strange ways that often he uses. Perhaps if you're a Christian this morning, and you think about how you came to know God And you see the different people, the different circumstances that he used. And we see here a remarkable example of that uh, in the life of Naaman. In one sense, so far from God. In the sense that he was a Gentile, he was not uh, a Jew. And also in his whole circumstances and situations, seemingly so far from God, so unreachable. We need to remember that this man, Naaman, was probably the second most powerful man in the world of his day. He was a a Syrian, and uh, Syria was the dominant empire of the day. And uh, Naaman was the commander-in-chief of the Syrian uh, empire. He was the confidant of the king of Syria. And uh, this man comes to know God in a most amazing and remarkable way. And so it is that God is working. He is still working, bringing people to himself, working in our lives, bringing about circumstances and situations which in his mercy draw us closer to him. Perhaps he's working in your life at this time. And you can trace the way he's brought you here this morning and why you're here. Perhaps not very long ago you would never have thought you would be here, but you are here. And uh, you're worshipping with Christian people. And you're hearing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all because God is at work in your life. You see, this man Naaman was a very successful man. Uh, He probably joined the army of Syria as a young soldier. A raw recruit. And uh, he uh, fought with the army in many situations. And he proved himself. Uh, We're told that he had become a great man in the sight of his master and was highly regarded. 
He was a valiant soldier. There are times when soldiers, particularly in hand-to-hand conflict, have to be courageous and brave. Their lives are in danger. It's kill or be killed. And Naaman had fought various battles. And uh, he had proved himself to be successful. And he'd, he'd risen up the ranks. And uh, now he's come to the highest rank he can possibly fulfill. He's the commander of the army. He's the one who decides how the army goes about uh, its campaigns, how it defeats its enemies. And his reputation could not be higher. And uh, he succeeded. His, his parents delighted in the success. He'd done well, as well as it was possible to do. And everything seemed to be going uh, in the right direction in his life. He was a very wealthy man when he leaves to go to seek a healing in Israel. He takes 10 talents of silver, 750 pounds weight of silver. He takes uh, 6,000 shekels of gold, 150 pounds weight of gold. And uh, he takes 10 sets of clothing, and that's not your regular Primark clothing, that's, that's the best clothes that you can get. You see, those are the spoils of victory. Those are the spoils of success. And this man has succeeded. He lives in a fantastic house. He's got servants. He's got everything that he could possibly need. And then we find that there's a a but in his life. But he had leprosy. Leprosy in those days was like a diagnosis of cancer today. It was a deadly disease. And at some point, Naaman realized he wasn't well. His wife realized he wasn't well. And they consulted the medical people of his day and they diagnosed him as having leprosy. And he said, well, what can you do? And they said, nothing. We cannot heal you. And uh, Naaman and his wife went back to their house and they looked at all the lovely things that they had. They looked at all the spoils of his victories and all the wonderful things he'd done. And now he knows that he's mortal. He's going to die. He's not going to die as an old man. He's going to die in the middle of his life, at the height of his powers. And perhaps even this valiant man, so respected by the king, shed a tear. Possibly a tear of anger, because later on we find he's an angry man when Elisha gives him the message he needs to hear. Why has this happened to me, he says. And uh, he can do nothing about it. And so here's this man, far from God, far from Israel. He succeeded, but he has a fatal disease that he can do nothing about. And uh, he has to face his mortality. I remember when I was in Tonneroin School, in primary school, uh, we used to listen to a radio program on a little radio on the wall. Uh, once a week, and the teacher would tune in. And I remember hearing a story about a, a Christian doctor working in a leper colony in India. And uh, he helped the lepers, he cared for them. And then one day he came back from his rounds and he came to the house where he was and his servant boy had prepared a bath for him in a, a steel bath and put the water in ready for the bath. And the, the surgeon went to get ready to go in the, uh, in the bath and the servant cried, don't get in. It's, uh, it's hot, I haven't put the cold water in yet. But he'd already got in and he, he realized he didn't know it. 
and he realized that he contracted the disease from the people he was caring for. I remember as a child thinking how sad that was. He went to care for them and the cost was that he had the same disease. A terrible disease, a deadly disease. But that man knew God, he knew the Lord. And it was because of that that he was caring for lepers. But Naaman wasn't a caring man. He was a man who lived for himself. Most of us do. It's what I want. It's what, about my success. It's about my family. And here he is. He's, he's far from God. And he's lost. And he's going to die. How can this man ever hear about God? But something happens. Some of his soldiers go on a raiding party into the north of Israel, into Samaria. They go to the villages. And they go there really to attack the people, perhaps to kill the men, to burn homes, to steal whatever the people may have. They're cruel men. And uh, they go into Israel, and one of the things they do is carry away a, a captive, a young girl from Israel. And that was a tragic situation. She was torn from her home, from her family, from her village, by people whose language she didn't understand, and she was taken to a foreign land. And she wondered if she would ever see her family again. Uh, those kinds of civil wars are very cruel and terrible things happen. Uh, the country of Sierra Leone has had a terrible civil war not too long ago. And uh, I visited Sierra Leone a number of times. I remember hearing a story of a, the rebels coming into Freetown and they came into the streets and they began to burn the houses and to, uh, to kill many of the people. And uh, the leader of one of these uh, rebel groups uh, took away a, a teenage girl and she, he took her really to be his slave in every sense, to be with him, that he might do with her whatever he wanted to do with her. And she was carried away weeping leaving her family behind. And she spent about four years uh, with that rebel group and with that leader in particular. And then he said, you can go free. And she thought, how, how lovely, I can go back. Go back to my family, go back to my home. And she went back to Freetown and she went down the street where she'd lived. She saw the house burned. And then she heard that the day that she was taken, all her family were killed. And there was no one left. It's the kind of thing that happens in this world. That's the situation here. It's a real situation. It's cruel. It's full of hate and no care. And this little girl is taken away. We don't know her name. And uh, she comes to Syria and it so happens that she goes to Naaman's house. And uh, she becomes uh, a servant to Naaman's wife. And she's in this house, and she's never seen a house like it. It's got every possible luxury. It's got everything you could possibly want. And uh, she realizes that, that Naaman is a really important man. And there must have been times when she cried herself to sleep. And she began to pray to God for his help and for his strength. As she missed her family. And she longed to see them again. She didn't want to be there. And you know, you know this little girl, that is remarkable. 
She's stripped away from all the supports of her faith and the things that she believed. And yet she keeps on believing. Uh, very often, you know, when we're in a strange place, uh, the things that God says to us in his word, the things that perhaps we've learned as a child, come back to us and between become a support and a strength to us. And it's clear that this little girl was being strengthened by the things that she believed. This was a pagan country. They worshipped this god Rimmon, an ugly idol. And uh, it's so different from the things that she had been taught and the things that she knew. And she also became aware that despite all the luxury of this house that she's in, there's a shadow over it. There's a sadness in this house. And uh, eventually she realizes what it is. Remember, she doesn't speak the language, but she realizes what it is that Naaman is seriously ill. He's got a disease for which there is no cure. And how does she respond? She could easily have said, oh, good. I'm really glad that he's ill because it's his soldiers who have taken me from my home. It's his soldiers who brought me here. In other words, I want nothing. To, it's not my, my problem. It's not my issue. Why should I get involved? That's how most people respond, isn't it? Perhaps this is some kind of justice for him, the way that he's treated me. But she isn't like that. She has a love for these people amongst whom she lives as a servant. And she goes to Naaman's wife and she says an amazing thing to him. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. An amazing confidence and faith. Today, when Christians share the good news of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence in that message. That if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, he will forgive you and you will have peace with God. But the remarkable thing about what this little girl says is that Naaman isn't from Israel. He, he's an outsider. But not only that, it, it wasn't a routine thing for lepers to be healed in Israel at that time. Jesus refers to this incident when he's beginning his ministry in Nazareth. And he speaks about how he is being rejected in his hometown. And he says, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. This little girl's confidence in God. If only my master would go and see the prophet in Israel, Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. What amazing confidence in God. This little girl has obviously been growing in her faith, her trust in God, and her love for those who don't know God. And she wants her master to get well. She wants him to be healed. It's a great challenge to us. Do we really care about the people around us? Do we have a heart for them? Do we long that they might come to know the love and grace of God? We can work, we can move around in our lives without ever engaging with people or caring about it. It's not my business, nothing to do with me. And people are lost and without God and without hope in this world. And here's this little girl. It's she that God uses to bring the message of good news to Naaman. This great man, this powerful man in Syria in the world. Here's the message from a little girl. A little girl who's had hard times. A little girl who suffered 
and yet a little girl who has known God and trusted him and who has a real love for God and a real love for her master in all his need. Are we like that? Those are the sort of people that God uses, people of great faith, great confidence in him. And the wife goes and he, she tells Naaman, do you know what that little girl from Israel has said? And uh, Naaman goes to the king and tells him what this little girl has said. And the king of Syria says, by all means, go. And then you see actually the, the limitations of kings. You know, you sometimes hear people saying, well, there's a political solution to that. Not very often. Uh, and here, leprosy. I'll write a letter to the king. Here's the king now. I'm, I'm the man who's going to sort this out. And uh, I'll send that letter to the king of Israel and tell him that he's to cure you of his leprosy. It's all happening amongst the kings here. No, no, it's happening amongst the little girl and the man of God, Elisha. Because when Naaman arrives uh, with the letter, the king of Israel, who clearly is not a spiritual man, he's totally different from the little girl. And he goes into mourning, he tears his clothes and uh, he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. There's no faith in the palace like there was in that little village in Israel and then in Naaman's house. And, and Naaman has come. He's come with his letter. And he's come with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and all those 10 sets of clothing. You know, sometimes when you go on holiday, you think, how much money will we need? And you uh, take uh, foreign currency or whatever you do, which you think will be enough to cover your expenses. How much does it cost to be cured of leprosy? Well, he took enough, he thought, to cover the cost. False religion always charges. Ungodly pleasures cost a lot of money. The wonderful thing about God's grace is it's free. We can come by without money and without price. But he doesn't know that. So he arrives with his chariot and his horses and his men and his gold and his silver and his uh, fine clothes. And he comes to the palace and there's, there's nothing there. And uh, then we read that Elisha, the man of God. Here's the difference. He's not just a man. He's a man of God. He's God's servant. He... He receives insights, visions from God. He knows, he understands, he speaks from God. Thus says the Lord when Elisha speaks. And when he hears that the king of Israel has torn his clothes, he says, why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. They may be the great military power, but we are the people of God. They weren't in the best of days themselves. But there was this prophet, Elijah. And so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, it must have been a very simple house. He left the palace. He went down a few sideways roads and he, he ended up outside this very simple house. And he may have thought to himself, he might even have said, what are we doing here? Why have we come to this dump? What hope is there here? Because he didn't know, he didn't understand. And, and there's no welcome. In a sense, there's no courtesy. But Elisha sends a message to him. 
Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. That's God's word to Naaman. That's God's message of hope to Naaman. It isn't what Elisha does. It's the words that he speaks. And when he gets that message, Naaman is very angry. He's furious. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. You see, that's the kind of thing that false religion does. All these rituals, all this calling up, all this demonstrative stuff, and there's no power in it. There's no truth in it. But that's all Naaman knows. He's got in his mind how God is going to cure him of his leprosy. But he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. He's got no insight into it at all. And he has the words that he needs to know. He has the words of life. But he's angry. And he's, when he thinks about dipping himself in the Jordan seven times, he says, well, we've got better rivers in Damascus than that. A banner and far, but couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And uh, he went off in a rage. And, you know, things are, are on a knife edge here. Naaman could have gone back to Syria and never been healed. There are some people who misunderstand how we come to know God. The message of the gospel is a message. It's words. We heard the children saying it this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But people say, well, I want a bit of ritual. I want a man in fine clothes. I want some sign of real religion. No, it's, it's a message. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the message about God and believing that message and acting upon it. Have you ever acted upon what God says in his word, what the children said for us this morning? Turning from your sin and believing and putting your trust in Jesus Christ and finding that his promise is true. You will be saved. You will know God now and nothing will ever separate you from his love and you'll be with him forever in heaven. That's the message. And before ever it was written, it was spoken. And Naaman receives God's word to him through Elisha, the man of God. And he's going to turn away. He's going to say, let's go back. This has been a waste of time. And maybe he was so angry they would have attacked a few villages on their way just to show these people that they need to respect the Syrians. He doesn't seem like a man, does he, who's humble and ready to learn and really wanting to know God. And we can be like that, proud, arrogant. But God cares about Naaman and his servants who are humble men go to him and they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? If God had told you to go and fight some great battle, you'd have gone and done it or climb a mountain or do something like that. But he's just told you to dip yourself in that river. Why don't you do it? Is that perhaps a word to you this morning? Why don't you do it? You're so near, but perhaps so far. Is your heart humble and ready to listen to what God says 
to you. I am listening, Lord, to thee, we sang. What have you to say to me? What is God saying to you? God is saying to Naaman, go down to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times in it and uh, you will be cleansed. And so he went down, left the house of Elisha, went to the river Jordan some distance away. And uh, he and his entourage stopped the chariot and he went down to the river. And if you watched by, you'd have seen this man taking off his garments and going into the river and dipping himself once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. As he comes up the seventh time, the leprosy has gone. And uh, his flesh is like that of a young child. And he's being cleansed and he says to the servant, look, it's gone. I've been healed. Because he did what the man of God told him. It wasn't the water of Jordan any more than the water of a banner and farper that healed him. It was God who did it. There was no doubt whatever about it. And... Uh, he is full of joy. And it's the same, you know, when we believe the gospel and put our trust in him. God fills our hearts with a peace and a joy because his word is true. And we know that we know God. And so he puts his, he dries, he puts his clothes on, he gets back in the chariot, they go back to Elisha's house. And uh, he stands before Elisha, and this is what he says. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from yourself. I want to give you something out of gratitude for what has happened and for the fact that you have told me the message of God. And Elisha says, no thanks. You know, there's nothing to pay. There's no bill, there's no invoice. Don't want any gold, don't want any silver, don't want any fine clothes. It's just God's grace, just his kindness to you. And, uh, and Naaman is saying, I know now that, that your God is the only true God. In all the world, there's no one except the God of Israel who is truly God. And you know, there's no other savior except Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all the world. But as we shall see, Naaman hasn't quite understood how great God is. Because once he realizes that uh, Elisha doesn't want a gift, he, he says two things. One is a request. Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Isn't it strange? This powerful man asks if he can take some earth home. He never asked before when his soldiers came in to raid and pillage the villages in Israel. But now he's a changed man, you see. Would it be okay if I took some earth? Why, why does he want to take some earth? And it probably means this, that he's going to take some earth back because when he gets back home, he'll, he'll spread the earth out somewhere and it will be a bit of Israel and he'll stand on it when he prays because he believes that the God that has healed him, who has healed him is only God in Israel. And uh, so he'll stand on this soil from Israel. And the interesting thing is that Elisha doesn't give him a Bible study on the nature of God. He says, go in peace. Because he knows 
but after a while that earth will disappear. Or Naaman will be somewhere where he can't get back to his earth and he'll realize that the God who has healed him is the God of all the world. He is the God of Israel, but he's the God in heaven and on earth. And Elisha knows that God will teach him that and will show him. So there's no harm in him taking the earth back. But then he's got another request. He says, may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing when my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on his arm and I bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. So now it's idolatry. And again, you would think, well, Elijah would, Elisha would give him a little Bible study on this, really. Because he says, I'll go in with this frail king and we'll be, I'll be holding on his arm. And as the king bows, I'll have to bow down too with him. But I'm not worshipping Rimmon, he's saying. So may the Lord forgive me for that. And again, Elisha trusts God to teach this new believer. God teaches us, you know, God convicts us. When, when Naaman sees again this ugly idol, Rimmon, who, which has eyes but it can't see, and ears but it can't hear, and a mouth but it can't speak, he will say to the king, sorry, I'm not going in there because now I've come to know the true God. You know, when God saves someone, when God brings us to know him, he puts his spirit in our hearts and he teaches us his way. It's easy sometimes to give people rules and regulations externally. Elisha doesn't do that because he knows that, that God has done a life-transforming work in Naaman's life. And wherever he goes, God will be with him and will teach him his ways. Go in peace, Elisha says. And so this man goes home and he, he travels all the way to Syria and he arrives. And as he arrives, his wife is there to say, how's it gone? And I don't know, we're not told, but I would imagine the little girl was there. How's it gone? And he says, I'm well. And the little girl says, I knew he'd do that. I knew he'd do that. My God would do that. I'm so glad. And perhaps this great man in the eyes of the world, this little girl who is so apparently unimportant we don't even know her name, sat down in his house and he said, now tell me about this God who has been so gracious to me. And she told him all the things that were in the Old Testament, all the things that she had learned, all the things that had encouraged her. What a wonderful picture of the grace of God and the love and the kindness of God. This morning, if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because of who you are in the eyes of the world, but because of his grace and his kindness. If you're somebody who's a nobody in this world, you are one with all the people of God on earth and in heaven because you have received the same grace and the same kindness of God as every one of his children has experienced. And so here's a wonderful example of how God works, of the kind of people he uses, just ordinary people who know him, who love him, who trust him, even when things are difficult and never lose sight of him. How he reaches people who are, humanly speaking, totally inaccessible. How could anybody ever have got to Naaman but that through God's providence, through his leprosy, through the actions of his soldiers, through this little girl, he came to hear about God and he went to Elisha and, and God had mercy upon him. 
And just that simple message is that if we want to know God, we have to listen to his word, believe his word, and obey it. And then we come back to what the children say. Believe, this is God's word to you this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen.